Welcome to the Church for Dummies podcast, where we explain church history and ecclesiology to dumb people like us. Now, here are your hosts, Josh Whitney and Isaac Tipton. <laughs> riddle me this, Fundy. What's the riddle? What is... Wouldn't be no. Jeff Riddle, would it? I don't... Oh my gosh, it would be Jeff Riddle. Maybe <laughs> one of them. There's plenty out there. <laughs> well, but... welcome to our long-awaited episode. <laughs> We're uh, too poor to buy real sound effects, so we just have Josh. Who killed it. <laughs> totally. Totally killed it. I think it. your definition of killed it is a little different than mine, my friend. Well, no, like, like, like it is dead. Like, that's worth killing. Like, it was... Just kill it. Okay, that was what I was thinking. Oh, okay, good. Okay, we're on the same page. This yeah. is great. <laughs> Bro, how you been? It's Dude. been a, it's been a hot minute. Oh my gosh, it's been so long. I've been I've been good. Yeah, working. Church life is awesome. Growing. Oh my gosh, yeah, what a blessing. So cool. It's been so cool the last few months at our church. But uh, yeah, how about you? Man, it's been good. Um, vacay? I'm, yeah, vacay Florida, which is part of the reason why we haven't recorded in a bit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm about a shade tanner. Not that much, but uh, Half. yeah, although I feel like Florida followed me today because it's like oh, my 90 word. degrees. I was driving down the highway to get here and it it the it just looked different. Like looking through the uh, uh, looking through the stuff. <laughs> I'm trying to say. <laughs> The air. You could yeah. just see the air. It just looked thick. Yeah. It, Ugh. It did. It's gross. It was very sticky. Well, I feel bad. I worked for a contractor and we had guys up on the roof and they 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 were they were brave. They've they've toughed it out and they're good guys. They got the work done and I do not envy them because I'm more inside in my role. But those are good people out there. Yeah, man. That's impressive that people are like that. That's cool. Yeah. Well, Today is the day where we talk about something we've wanted to talk about. Oh my gosh, since like day one, we're like, when can we start doing this? Yeah. So let me tell you what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. We are going to be talking about the Bible through church history. Yeah. But that's kind of not the only thing we're trying to get at here. It's got a point. It's got a point. Yeah. We're trying to address a particular group of dummies. (laughs) <laughs> i'm just kidding. we love you we love you we love you dummies because we're dummies too this is just an interesting dummyism okay yeah and I, that was completely yeah. sarcastic because yeah. i i have family that believes this me too yeah so in no way are we actually thinking like yeah yeah but but it's we are we are addressing um the view called king james onlyism mm-hmm that might actually be a shock to some people. Yeah. But maybe not because I think it is that per, per, uh, pervasive. I, th- I think so. Uh, Only uh, in America, uh, though. But yeah. Right, well, mostly yeah. in America. Yeah. So why don't you tell us? Yeah. So we're going to be is. addressing this King James onlyism, which uh, essentially there's there's plenty of different views. Um, you know, it's not monolithic, but in just that the King James version of the Bible is the only version that Christians should be reading from. And it's got varying degrees on how how that actually plays out, um, but that's kind of the summation of it. 
Yep. Christians should only use the King James Version Bible translation for English speakers. Actually, yep. for, for everyone, but th- those are some of those other yeah, ones. Yeah, right, exactly. That's kind of the non-monolithicness of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's there's some that get thrown into the King James only category that really don't belong there. There's yeah. some people that just simply prefer the King James Version right. over others. And they're not King James only. I do think they should use a different translation, and we'll get into that. Yeah. But our argument is not with these people, really. Right. If you have, if you've never heard of this, and you've got people in your church that maybe even your pastors read from the ESV, or maybe they read from the CSB, and you've got a King James Bible, and you're sitting in your pew going, well, I didn't realize I was King James only. Like, we're not talking about you. <laughs> yeah. um, as you're about to see, because this is going to be multi-episode, as yeah. you're about to see, you, you'll see the stark difference between what you're doing and what we're about to talk about. Exactly, yeah. So you're all good, man. We don't hate you. We don't hate you. Not like the... Uh, we don't hate them either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Stop. Yeah, we got to stop. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so we just wanted to preface it with that. But yeah. So in this episode, though, because this, this is going to be mul- like multi-layered, there's going to be multiple episodes to this. Um, before we actually address King James onlyism and people who hold to that view and arguments for and against it... We actually want to start way back and look at the Bible through church history. Right. We want to see how did we actually get the Bible, because what's going to be really key to this this, uh, discussion is the history of the Bible, and how did we actually get the Bible? How did translations of the Bible actually function? How did they come about? Because in order to actually have a meaningful conversation about this, we need to know how we got the Bible to begin with. We need to start from square one. And then and only then can we actually discuss the issue of, is the King James Version the only translation that people in English who speak English should use? And are other translations perverted? You know, all that stuff. That's where we need to to start. And then... Because as we're going to break that down, it's not talking about like why w- why would you drive a Chevy when there's Fords out there? You, you, everybody has preferences, right? But when we start getting into the reasons why why a lot of people believe that the King James only or the King James version is the only, it gets into these to these foundationals that we that we're going to be bringing up. Yes. Um, it's interesting. I don't know how many of them know about these, but the only way to address it is with this foundation that we're about to lay. Yeah, exactly. And before I start off, um, you know, I'm just a just a guy. I'm just a, just a Christian. Dummy. Just a dummy, really. I yeah. am. But um, but I'm just your average Christian who loves Jesus. Mm. Um, so why should you be listening? And so are you. You're yeah. your average Christian that loves Jesus. That's yep. what we are. Um, so why should you listen to us? Well, let's give a few references to some some works that I think are actually from scholars that people can check with what we're saying. That way, you know, yeah. we're not just making this history stuff out of thin air. So, uh, actually, you've been reading this book. Oh, my uh, gosh. The uh, King James Only Controversy from James White. Yep, Dr. James White. Yes, Dr. James White. That's right, yes. Um, yeah, I don't think he was a doctor when he wrote the book. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think he was. Yeah, no. I don't think he was, but he... Since he's, then, he he's became. a smart guy. Okay? Smart guy. He knows his stuff. It's he does been, debates all the time. That's kind of like been his not focus, but that's been his passion since he really became academic. Was yeah. 
was that because it's something you grew up with. Yeah, exactly. So so we'll we'll be uh, a lot of this information that we shout won't out be, James White. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> shout out James White, <laughs> man. He's totally listening to this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but <laughs> that'll be the day, man. Um, oh my gosh. We won't be dummies anymore if he does that. <laughs> we'll have Woo! to change the episode. We would have made it. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so we won't be quoting yeah. exactly from these works, but this is where we got a lot of this information and, yep, you know, whatever else. So, so James White's book, Dr. James White's book, um, The King James Only Controversy, uh, Mark Ward, his book, Authorized the Use and Misuse of the King James Version, and also D.A. Carson has some great stuff on that. Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary has some good stuff that I've read. Um, and then people like, uh, um, what's his name? I keep forgetting. Dan Wallace. And uh, yeah, people like these, these scholars in the New Testament and all these guys, they're, they're awesome. Mm. We're getting a lot of our information from them. So we're not just getting it from some wackadoo that was street right. preaching at Shaw's. So, um, Isn't know. that John? Oh. Well, John's not a wackadoo. <laughs> no, so. he's not. You know what I mean. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, I, if we have any out-of-state listeners, they're probably not going to know what Shaw's is. What's, what's a Shaw's? What's a Shaw's? It's like a grocery store, guys. It's like a grocery store. Yeah. It's actually, it is a grocery store. <laughs> it's like a grocery store <laughs> that, so much. That it is. That it is one. <laughs> All right. So where Absolutely. are we starting with this thing? Um. Well, in the beginning, God created the, sorry, it is true. <laughs> That's though. too far back. That's bro. too far back. A little bit further ahead. Um, so, really, there's in this whole debate, there's not even that much um, fighting necessarily. If 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 you'll say with the Old Testament, because that's been yeah. established. So, I guess starting with that, we get to how we got the Bible, and really, probably the best way to start with that. Obviously, it happened more. It was written in Hebrew. But the Greek Septuagint was what um, everybody during the time of Jesus was reading. Like it was fully established what the Pentateuch was and what the prophets were and, and yeah. the books of wisdom and historical books. Like it, that was all established into the Greek Septuagint, which is the translation of the Hebrew. Right. Um, so that was all, all established. And then after that, you've you've got Pentecost, you know, the, the starting of the christian church um so with that you've got the you've got the apostles now um you've got them writing letters correcting one another you've got um some of the disciples writing um gospels gospel accounts and so now we've got addresses letters going to different churches from apostles you've got gospel accounts um those start circulating in greek um not in aramaic which some (laughs) things exist out there um passion they were translation hardly cough, a translation at all um the the passion <laughs> work that they did um so you've got all of th- that was written in greek being spread out they were compiled um in a lot of those major cities like rome probably corinth um where they were where you could find them together and then from there you've got the council of nice which wasn't the creation of the bible as a lot of people would like <laughs> to say, um, that was addressing what was already established in the church, but people trying to bring up other books being like, well, I like this one, I like this one, and the church decide, well, let's officially say what 
is scripture. Right. And so they did. So that's kind of the long gist of what we have. So yep. all of that being compiled together, now we have a Greek gathering of all of these New Testament writings between the Gospels and epistles and things like that. Yeah, exactly. So in summary of what Josh just said, Old Testament, Hebrew. Yeah. New Testament, Greek. Greek. And Greek with a couple of phrases every now and then in Aramaic. Right. But that's it. But that's it. Yeah. And that's mostly in the in the Old Testament with the Aramaic. And there's a few in the new. Yep. So um so why do we say all that? Well, a couple of things. Uh, Greek back then was kind of how English is now. Right. So Greek was the language that everyone spoke back then. Everyone, and this must be weird to a lot of Americans, but most people knew two or three languages. Most people knew that. There were some who didn't because they were just, you know, they were poor. Like when we take two Spanish classes in high school, (laughs) like knowing multiple languages like that. Even (laughs) better than that, hopefully. Oh, wow. But... You know, you would know whatever your local language was. So for the Jews, it was Aramaic. That Mm. was the language that they spoke primarily. But um, they also would know some Hebrew Mm -hmm. because of their roots. And they knew Greek and Latin as well. So in that case, for Paul would have known probably all of those languages as well, at least to some degree or another. Yeah. But Greek was kind of like English is today, where if you go to another country, like most people know English as a second language. It's kind of like the universal language right now. That might change in the future, but right now it's English. And back then, it was Greek. So the New Testament was originally written in Greek, which makes perfect sense because the whole purpose of the church is now to be a missionary organization. global impact. Yeah, Yeah. we're the kingdom of God coming to earth to bring all the nations into subjection to Christ. So with that being said it makes perfect sense that God would make the uh, the New Testament having it originally established in Greek rather than Hebrew, let's say, which really the only people that would have known that were the Jews, and not even all the Jews would have. Right. So The educated Jews would have. Right. Everybody else would not have. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's just testament to the fact that the Bible is meant for everyone. Mm. And the New Testament was, is meant for everyone. The mes- message of Christ, the gospel, is meant for everyone. Yeah. Um, to hear it, not just those who are educated. Um, so um, what's important to talk about here is, okay, so we got that the Bible is written in Greek and the New Testament is written in Greek. Um, but how did it get from them to us? Yeah. That's the main question. Yeah. And so a, a good key point, which we kind of talked about by them being distributed, but a, a good key point is everybody wanted to know the words of the apostles because they were in charge. Like they were the ones leading the church. So what you had was Paul writing to Corinth. Corinth then, having members in that community, copied it, copied it and copied it. People in Rome found out that sh- that Paul wrote to Corinth. Well, what do you say? So someone would visit from Rome or someone from Corinth visited Rome. Uh, I said the same thing twice. From Rome visited Corinth, <laughs> or someone from Corinth went to Rome, and then they're like, "Can we copy that?" And so, and so, it blew up, and everybody was copying these manuscripts. Yeah. So, uh, that comes in. I don't know if we'll go into that right now, but that will come into play, especially later on. Yeah, it certainly will. Absolutely. Yeah. 
But in, in short, from that, what we have as far as like how do we have that now in the f- fourth century, um, 382 to be spe- specific. Thank you, Isaac. Um, <laughs> Jerome took those Greek manuscripts um, that were being, you know, those handwritten copies that everybody had and compiled them into a Latin translation. Because at that point, now that was, if I'm not mistaken, the most modern, widely spoken language across the world was now Latin. And he's like, well, I want people to know it. Not everybody reads Greek anymore. So he wrote it in Latin. Um, And so from 382 all the way up to, where are we going? 1500 is our next stop. Yeah, 1500 um, next stop. 1500 the the Latin Vulgate was the only, I mean really only translation of of those Greek once upon a time texts. Like this was the Bible now. Yeah. And important an important distinction too is we're um, as Protestants we are primarily rooted in the western tradition of the church. Yes. Um what's a good thing to point out is in 382 with St. Jerome, when he made that Latin translation, Latin was the primary language in the West that was being spoken. In the East, people were still speaking Greek. So the, the whole the Latin Vulgate thing, that only caught on in the Western Catholic Church, what we now call the Roman Catholic Church. Um, whereas in the East, the Eastern Church, which we now know as the Eastern Orthodox or the mm-hmm. Greek Orthodox Church, they stuck with Greek the whole time. So they never they never uh, messed with a Latin translation, and they never messed with any translation. They just had the original language, mm. uh, which is awesome that they, they went that route. But translations are still good. That's a whole other thing. Um, but it's important <laughs> to to make that distinction. Um, because where I'll go with this next is in 1515, a um, Catholic, a Roman Catholic priest by the name of Desiderius Erasmus, he um, was a very educated guy. He wanted to make a new translation of the New Testament or the whole Bible into Latin. That was his goal. Mm-hmm. He wanted to make a new translation into Latin. Um, but because it was so steep, the, the Latin Vulgate was so um, ingrained into the tradition of the church. If he made a new translation, it would be immediately criticized and people wouldn't trust it. So what he did was he compiled um, a, a handful of Greek manuscripts, which the New Testament was originally written in. Mm-hmm. And he got that um, largely from Constantinople at the time, mm. um, which was in the East Greek Orthodox Church. So they would have had the the Greek New Testament still. Istanbul, so he he had uh, what'd you say? Istanbul, it's not Constantinople. Constantinople. Do, 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 do. Anyways, <laughs> thanks, man. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah. So he he had less than a dozen Greek New Testament manuscripts mm. that he used to compile. So he he looked at all these manuscripts, and there's some variations between them because they're all handwritten copies. So sometimes people misalign. Sometimes people. Um, accidentally add something. Sometimes there was a footnote on something and it accidentally, um, like whoever was copying that text thought the footnote was actually part of the text mm-hmm. or vice versa, you know? So there's these minor things that that um, variations between the texts 
that you wouldn't know existed if you just have one manuscript. But when you have all of them, you can look at them and compile them and determine what the original was. Yeah. So that's what he did based on less than 12 manuscripts. And he came up with what is now called the Textus Receptus, or the received text. And there's seven editions of that compilation, which will be important later. Um, but the reason we're bringing this up now is because his whole purpose was to justify his Latin translation. He, um, side by side with his new Latin translation, he put the original Greek to mm. justify his translation choices from Greek to Latin. That was his original intent behind it. Yep. Um, and the whole reason we're bringing this up now in light of the King James only controversy thing that we're going to be addressing is because this compilation, this Greek New Testament compilation based on less than 12 manuscripts is what the King James version is based off of. Yep. So that's really important. So please take note of that. If you missed everything else we just said, you shouldn't. You should go back. You should. Look, there's a rewind. <laughs> there's a rewind. It's not that hard. Go back and listen because it's <laughs> is it's so important. If if we're gonna say that the history of our country is important, how much more so is the history of the mm. the sacred writings Absolutely. from our God? You know. So. Uh. So yeah, I would say that as a side note too. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, as we're going through this. And we we did make jokes at the beginning about uh, about our King James brothers and sisters who 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 still hold on to this tradition um, and this translation in varying degrees. Um, we're not ragging on you because we think you're weird. Right. Like we we should all come under this scrutiny. Whatever Bible translation you're you're reading, it should be with the thought of this is as close to as we can possibly get because it's a translation to what was originally written to the churches, the gospel accounts, because we do believe that that was inspired by God. So we're not dogging on anyone for this, you know, just to try and be mean. Like we want to know what scripture says. Like this is very serious. When you print something and it says Holy Bible and on the inside you talk about like the history of the Bible and that you're presenting this now. Like you can read this and know that God is, this is what God wanted to convey to his people. Right. We should take that very seriously. Aside from King James with other translations that seem to be coming up and different traditions you might like and different ways you think that the Bible speaks to you best. We should be very cautious when we call something the word of God. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Cool. So um, should we move on with the timeline? Probably. Cool. <laughs> yeah, because we want to get a couple more episodes in, man. Let's I think this. so. Yeah. So um, to move on in history, so um, this Greek New Testament, the Textus Receptus, which had multiple editions, this was the foundation of all of the translations the Bible mm -hmm. translations that would come from the Protestant Reformation. Tra translations? Yeah. Not just one? No. The King James? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I thought so, it was the only translation ever to have existed. That's why it's the best. <laughs> okay. That's good. Ah, he gets it. I was it. like, he did gets you not read it. the notes? <laughs> <laughs> I do what I feel. Yeah. But you think of the Bible that Martin Luther translated into German? 
Mm. He used Erasmus's Greek New Testament, which they, if you don't know, which we haven't covered this in our podcast yet, I don't think. Have we? Did we? Um, the battle between Luther and Erasmus on the bondage of the will? No. Oh, okay. Well, well, we haven't dug into the Reformation that yeah, much. We, we really did haven't. Church of the Ages. Yeah, yeah. And we spent... That'll be a fun one. Oh, uh, we only spent an episode on the Reformation, but... Oh, we'll come back. We'll come, we'll come back. back. All right. Yeah. But anyways, that's important to know because this is a... Um, this is a significant moment in church history and for the Bible, really. At this moment in time in the Reformation, like there are just Bible translations going everywhere, and it's all based on this uh, Greek New Testament mm. edition mm. from Erasmus. And uh, Which yeah. is great, because that's what they had. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great. That's what they had, and it's fantastic. So, um, moving on, our next stop in the history train here. Choo-choo. Choo-choo. <laughs> is uh, we want to get off right around somewhere in the early to mid-1800s. Yeah. And you got a guy, a couple guys, with the last names of Westcott and Hort, which if you are King James only, when you hear that, you probably think of Satan and the Antichrist immediately. Um, but just know that's not the case for these guys necessarily, okay? So just listen on. So these guys were <laughs> uh, scholars, archaeologists, whatever you want to say. Um, they were hunting down Bible trans, uh, the original language manuscripts, um, of the New Testament. And, um, they were able to find a lot of them and they happened to find two major ones, which were very ancient, um, around, you know, the, the second and third century. That's a old, big deal, which is a huge deal because we didn't say this earlier, but all the manuscripts, um, before that point, most of them were um, like ninth century, eighth century. Yeah, that's like the earliest. Like ninth century was like the earliest, but most of them were like hand copies from the eleventh, twelfth, or thirteenth centuries, mm. because they're being used a lot. You know, they're not going to be, uh, they're not going to last as long. So you have to keep right. you know those manuscripts going. But the reason why it is so significant that they found ancient manuscripts is because um, because everything was hand copied up until. Um, around the time of the Reformation when the printing press was invented. Um, everything was hand copied, which makes errors so much easier. And when mm. I say errors, please know, I don't mean people coming in wholesale and changing the entire Bible's message or removing Christ from the Bible or his deity or right. anything like that. It's not like that. It's genuine Christians who love Jesus, who are hand copying the Bible mm-hmm the New Testament in particular here, but they make mistakes in copying, which we all have done in school. When you had to copy something, sometimes you'd miss a word or you'd duplicate something or you'd, um, you know, totally skip a line because you're looking, you know, you're referencing one way or the other. Um, if you knew another passage really well from memory, like especially in the Gospels, we see this. Mm. Um, you might carry over information from one gospel into another because you know the other one so well, or because for whatever reason you think that information needs to be in here, which at that point, I, I wouldn't do that personally, but you're just, all you're doing is transposing scripture from one place to another. So you're not right. actually adding new content. You're just duplicating right. content from one book to another, which still I wouldn't do that, right. but that did happen. So we're not talking about wholesale corruption. So get that out of your mind. 
It's this is not some conspiracy theory thing. This is just average right. human means that God chose to use. Right. Um. So, where was I going with that, Josh? <laughs> uh, the Scott and so yes. they found third century, right. second century. Right. Right. So the reason that's so significant is because looking at the older, the older you get of a um, of a Greek New Testament uh, manuscript the less copying errors there will be in theory in those manuscripts. Because what we had before that were copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies, 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 copies etc. Whereas these ones were likely copies of copies or copies of copies of copies. Right. So they're way older. Certainly not original like the original autographs from the apostles themselves. I don't think any of those are in existence today. But... We have very, very, very early copies, like second or third generation, maybe fourth generation copies of of the uh, the New Testament. So the theory is, which I agree with, is those older manuscripts um, should be given more weight. At that time, there were only a few old manuscripts. But let's fast forward into today. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that for a second. So today, there are nearly 6,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts that we have. It's more than 12. It's more than 12. It's It's a lot more than 12. It's a lot more than 12. And a, uh, a good amount of those are from before the 9th century. Also good. That's also good. Uh, the The majority are after the ninth century, which makes sense because those are the ones that are going to last longer because they're more recent. Right. Right. So we wouldn't have as many of the old ones. Um, but, um, but we do have those old ones. So here, here's the real kicker. And Josh, this is where we'll we can kind of open it up for discussion between the two of us once we talk about this. Here's the real kicker. Um, with that whole history of the the Bible, and there's a lot more we could say. I'm sure we'll get into it in a little bit, yeah, of our future episodes. But the King James version of the Bible was translated from a Greek New Testament compilation that was based off of twelve manuscripts. So essentially, the King James is based off of twelve Greek manuscripts. Okay, right. Which is which is fine. However, modern English translations are based on compilations of nearly 6,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts looked at as a whole, plus when there are variations between the, the older and the newer manuscripts and between each other and all that, we also reference ancient translations that we have since discovered, like Coptic and um, Syriac and others. Uh, that are ancient languages mm. that are translations of of the New Testament. And we're able to see what they chose to translate, like what words were included in those translations. Even though it's going to be a different language, if one of them included a verse that is in question, if it ever existed originally, mm-hmm. if that ancient translation contains it, then we know, okay, well, it's probably likely that this is original. So we're Makes able sense. to look at Basically, the, the cool part about mo- what modern Christian conservative scholars do is they look at 
all of the wealth of what we have from of the Bible in history, of ancient translations, and especially um, the, the Greek New Testament. And we look at the thousands and thousands of manuscripts we have, and they compile them and wisely um, compare them and whatnot, and come up with a compilation of what um, is the original of what the original text from the um, the apostles was. So mm-hmm. essentially, when we read, and, and that is what all modern English translations are based off of for the most part. Right. They're based off of this compilation, um, which to me is awesome, and it's way more trustworthy because it's based off of the entire cloud of witnesses that we have of, um, of the Bible versus a, a handful of manuscripts um, at the time that, that he had, um, that Erasmus had. Uh, no, King James translator said, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah. So that's all I have to say. What do you want to say? So many things. <laughs> well, so I, I know that this is a common a common objection because you see you see internet memes that have um that have on the on the left hand side um verses and then on the right hand side it says um deleted modern translations. Yeah. And so isn't that then uh you know, opposing side question, well, aren't all of these modern translations then just using the excuses of multiple sources to delete things from God's word? Good question. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent question. I love the way you poised that. No. <laughs> so, all right, moving on. So thank you guys for listening. To- <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <laughs> There's a couple of things I want to say about that. So the first thing is I want to address a... Um, a underlying suspicion and conspiracy theory that many Christians have for some reason. The people behind the major evangelical English translations, like the ESV, the NASB, the CSB, the NIV, all these. NKJV. The NKJV, yeah. These are all conservative Christian scholars well, easy for you to say. These are the people that you would be sharing the Lord's Supper with in church. These are the people that you would be singing with in church. They believe the same things that you believe. And these are the ones who are behind these English translations. They believe in the authority of the Bible. Now, there are some translations out there, definitely, that have a bias and an agenda behind them to pervert the Word of God for their own purposes. And we'll talk about that in a later episode. But all the major evangelical English translations that are widely accepted across denominational lines, those translations are all done by conservative Christian scholars that love Jesus, that love the Word of God. So, Hold to the confessions. Right, yeah, they, they, exactly. Yeah. They have no interest at all in perverting God's words for their own agenda. Zero interest. They, they hold God's words for the highest authority, and that's exactly why they are doing the work they are doing. Mm-hmm. That's why they're doing it. So just like you would trust a reputable doctor mm-hmm. when he gives you a prescription or tells you what's wrong with you, so we too as Christians should trust our fellow brothers and sisters who are experts in their field. Right. We, we should. And right. obviously that doesn't mean you you uh, 
just go with whatever they say without question. But if what they're saying makes sense and they're able to back it up, then we sh- why why wouldn't we believe it? Why are we going to believe um, our like a pastor who who doesn't have any background in those scholarly fields, um, who has only studied one side, yeah, and has an agenda for staying that one side so that he can maintain his traditions or whatever. Why are we going to listen to him over the abundance and the majority of conservative Christianity and the scholars within that that say that position's wrong? From multiple backgrounds, too. Covenant theologians, dispensational theologians. Yeah, exactly. Um, Baptists, Presbyterians. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Pentecostals, all of it. You yeah. Know? It's all different uh, um, in the other side, you know? So there's a lot of, there's way less possibility for bias. Um, right there so that's the first thing i wanted to say yeah the second thing is um we need to be careful about the language of adding or removing right because this is what we're dealing with here um the modern english translations they aren't removing verses that are supposed to be there and just as we wouldn't say the king james translation was adding verses that weren't supposed to be there because it did make corrections off of the previous thousand-year translation that was used. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's... Yeah, that's that's a whole other thing. But yeah, you're yeah. exactly right. Like, um, the whole... The King James Version itself has gone through multiple revisions and is based off of earlier English translations that had variants in the, um, the Greek New Testaments that they were translating from. And they had to make decisions as to, okay, does this word belong here based on the Greek you know, the New Testament that we that we have. And they had to make those decisions. Um, but they had way more limited sources than we do now to make those decisions. So, but here's the thing, like, um, verses aren't added and verses aren't removed. It's not like that. Mm. It's what are they translating? Are they, are, modern English translations are translating a from a Greek New Testament compilation that is slightly different than the Mm. Greek New Testament compilation that the King James is based off of. But that's not because of some conspiracy theory of people trying to pervert the Bible. It's just because people made errors when they were copying, Mm -hmm. and depending on the manuscripts that you compile, you may come to different conclusions on what's original and what's not, if you don't, depending on the material you have to work with. And I think it is way more logical to conclude that since Erasmus only had a handful of manuscripts to go off of to compile his New Testament, whereas modern translations have this plethora of manuscripts to go off of, it makes way more sense that we're going to be able to come to a way more solid conclusion nowadays based on Mm -hmm. our information than they could back then. So that's what it is. There's not, it's just based off of the compilation and what is original and what's not. It's not, can we remove this verse or add this verse? Right. Was it was it Erasmus that w- that moved to to Alexandria to try and find more manuscripts, and then it didn't end up working, so he moved back. It's a good question. I don't I'm know. trying to remember who that was. There was it was either I don't think it was Jerome, because um, that would be way too early. But I th- I thought it was Erasmus reading it in. James White's book, and then hearing him talk about it on his show, that uh, I thought it was Erasmus, moved to Alexandria, trying to find more manuscripts, turning up 
to not have any like he he was hoping and so he came back um to finish to finish his work could be i don't know see i thought we had talked about this before that's the only reason i brought this up because i thought you were either going to confirm it or or gonna go no it's this one but now now we just have that so floating. It might have been Westcott and Hort that did that. No, I definitely know it wasn't them. It was okay. like during it was during like that early time. church history. Well, so I do know that that Erasmus was aware of um one of those ancient uh the more ancient um manuscripts. I forget which codex it was. It was Alexandrius or Vaticanus or something like that, one of them. I it was one of them anyways. And he actually, uh, there's some letter from him to someone in, I think it was probably Constantinople or something, where he was um, trying to see if he could get his hands on that that manuscript yeah. to reference for his compilation. But I don't know that he was ever able to. But that just shows he didn't think it was perverted. That Which is the point I was trying yeah, to make. He didn't think it was perverted. He he was and like, he was trying he to find it. more. Yeah, he, he was only trying to came find up more. with this. Exactly, yeah. And that so it shows like it's not that he thought like these are what was inspired. Right. It's he 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 wanted more, yeah. but he was limited because it it was the 5th uh, 16th century. Yes. Yeah. And limited in resources and limited on how you can travel and limited I mean everything took time and everything and he yeah. Yeah. So exactly. Did what he could, made seven editions. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and a f- five of them were his. One was Beza's, and one was Stefanus. So Beza, Theodore Beza, was the successor to John Calvin, and uh, then Stefanus. I forget who Stefanus was. He may have been in that same same line, um, but they all made, and all of the seven editions of that that Greek compilation that Erasmus made, um, with the help of Beza and Stefanus, um, they are different from each other. Some have less words some have more words than the other some have you know some phrases that are included some that aren't based on what they thought the original was based on the information they had at the time yeah so yeah anyways uh i mean i don't think i have really anything else to say on this episode <laughs> on this episode no, no we're definitely we should, gonna start gonna, breaking into more topics yeah, let's record some more <laughs> let's do it yeah, we're man. gonna enjoy talking about this further but you yeah. You dummies are going to have to wait until next week. You're going to have to wait a whole week. Unless you go to our church, you'll probably hear talking points about it, but <laughs> not much. Yeah. Which, which I isn't... think most of our listeners are from our church. So, No, wait, nah. we can't reveal that. We're way more popular. We're than so think. popular because of what you guys have done. We literally have tens of thousands of... Li- that's not true. That's a, lie. I, that's a lie. We might do a bonus episode on lying. We might do a bonus episode on lying. <laughs> Here in this episode, Church for Dummies, Josh is a liar. That is all. Good day. Good day. <laughs> yeah. No. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening to us, guys, for rambling and ranting. Uh, hopefully, it was beneficial to you. Don't forget to like and subscribe on uh, your favorite or unfavorite podcast platform. And give us that honest five-star review because you know you want to. And it would help us out so much. <laughs>